All right, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read just two verses, verses 13 and 14, which say, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We are now approaching the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We've been looking at this for quite a while now, and uh, lots of different things that Jesus has covered in just these three chapters in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, Jesus is now presenting us with some stark choices as the way forward. He talks about two ways to go the narrow road and the wide road. And he's going to go on uh, and talk about two teachers, the false teacher and the true teacher. And he's going to finish off by talking about two foundations that we can build our lives on, a foundation of sand or a foundation of rock. Two alternatives that Jesus keeps putting before us, and he gives us one choice. Here he gives us the choice of the wide way or the narrow way, the wide gate the narrow gate. And often we can want more than one way. Uh, We can say, well, we're not sure we've quite made up our mind what's the right way to go. Uh, We're not quite made up our mind about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, either you're on the wide road or you're on the narrow road. You're on one road or you're on the other road. Many people are on the wide road. Only a few find the narrow road. And he's encouraging us, find that narrow road. You know, these final verses, these verses today and the ones that we're going to come up to before the end of chapter 7, they're pretty stark verses. If we read through them, you just get hit verse after verse. You know, you just think, oh, what What, what are you saying, Jesus? That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. And uh, they shock us. They demand a response from us. Jesus doesn't just leave us with the option of saying that was a nice message and going happily on our way. And I guess neither should any message that is preached uh, by any of his followers. There should always be a response which God demands from us in one way or the other. And Jesus is getting to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's getting to to the crux of it. He's saying, now what's your response going to be? What are you going to do about it? Which way are you going to walk? And so before we get into this, I just want to pray because uh, this, can be, this can be difficult. And I want to pray that God just helps us uh, to understand what he's saying and to respond in uh, the way that he would love us to respond. Father God, I just want to come before you now and just say, Lord, we want to submit these verses to you again. Lord, I pray that as I preach, that I would convey something of your heart, of what you are saying in these verses. Lord, help me. uh, Give me wisdom. Lord, I pray, let the words that are spoken uh, be your words that are spoken to people's hearts. Lord, where there's challenge that comes in these verses, the challenge that you would want to bring to us, I pray we would be responsive to it. I pray that our hearts would be soft and that you would change us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Okay. Well, as I say, Jesus is coming to conclude the Sermon on the Mount. So let's just do a quick recap of what his message has been so far. It's a recap. I've taken uh, over two years to, uh, to go through this. But let's recap 
uh, what he said in probably about five minutes. Um, you might be thinking, why couldn't you do it in five minutes to start off with? Um, but this is, uh, this is what he says. <coughs> Jesus explains at the start of the Sermon on the Mount that he's, he's come to establish the kingdom of heaven. He's come to call a people to himself, to make and to form into a kingdom. It's completely different from anything the world has ever known. And his people need to realize that it's different. His people need to realize that it's unique and separate. And so he describes it for us in what we call the Beatitudes. He, he, he wants us to know what it is that we're signing up for. He says this is what a Christian will look like to the world. They will be poor in spirit. It's important to see the first one, poor in spirit. Someone who doesn't come full of their own self-righteousness, full of their own sense of I've got life sorted out, but who comes absolutely knowing their dependence on God. And he says, this is what a follower of mine, or a kingdom person will look like. They'll be poor in spirit. They will know that they're trusting totally in me. They'll be mournful. They'll be meek. They'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be merciful. They'll be pure in heart. They will be peacemakers. He goes through and explains all of those. And he says, look, the world's not going to like it. The world will not like you being like that. It will persecute you. There will be persecution, but when persecution comes, you will be blessed because you will have a heavenly reward to look forward to. But he says, even when there is this persecution, that's not a reason to withdraw, to pull back from the world. Jesus isn't looking to establish a people who are going to be separate from the world in in the sense that they're in a commune or they, they form some little cozy society which doesn't relate to the world at all. He says, no, 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 you will remain in the world. You will be salt and light. You will keep the world from decay. You will shine God's light into the darkness. And then he goes on to explain how these kingdom people, these followers of him, will be different from anyone else, even from the most religious of people. They'll have lives which don't just look good on the outside, but are continually being transformed by God's power on the inside. And how he looks at different Uh, different things, puts his finger on them in terms of anger and division between people and lust and relationships and keeping your word and loving people who show no love towards you. And he says, these people are different. They respond in a different way to everyone else. And then he goes on to explain what it means for these people to pray and what it means for them to fast and to give and to have a new perspective towards money and wealth. And not to worry about the future, but to trust in God. And then he tells us how his followers will be in relation to other people. Forgiving people, not judging others before looking closely at yourself. And doing to others as you would have them do to you. And he kind of summarizes it and and tops it all off really. And finishes it all off by saying and reminding us that his people are totally dependent upon the love and grace And life-changing power of a heavenly father who delights to answer our prayers. Who we can come and ask and seek and knock and receive everything that he has for us. And that anything that we can do, all of these things cannot be done. They're impossible without being totally dependent on God and his grace. And then he looks out on those people who are listening to him as he's gone through all of those things. And he says, so... 
What are you going to do about it? What is your response to this message? You have some decisions to make. And the first decision is this. What road are you going to walk down? What road are you going to walk down? And he, he gives two roads. He says there are two roads. There's only two roads. You can't kind of hedge your bets. Just the two roads. He says the first road, the first road is the one that is narrow. And this is the one that he wants us to walk down. The narrow gate. Small is the gate. Narrow the road. It leads to life. He points out only a few find it. And he said there's another road. Wide road. Broad road. A wide gate. It leads to destruction. Many, many enter through it. But he says you don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. It's well traveled. But look where it ends up. Jesus is saying, go down the road that leads to life. It's the road that he's described to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. But when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you can see why not many people are on it. Because as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we think, how? How can we do that? How can we, how can we not be angry with people? How can we... How can we um, Keep our promises when we make them. How can we, when someone strikes us on the right cheek, can we turn and let them strike us on the left? How can we love others the way that um, we would want them to love us? How can we not judge people? How can we make sure that our prayer life and our, uh, is, is good and before God and genuine and not for show? How can we make sure that um, we... We, we don't store up treasures on earth and we have a good attitude towards money and we're not serving man. And so many challenges. And people are going to look at that and think, oh, that's not the, oh, I can't walk down that road. If no one else is walking down that road, I'm going to walk down the same road as everyone else. And Jesus is saying, no, seek the narrow road. Seek the narrow gate. Not many find it. Now, it's easy to think when we read this little verses in isolation. We go, oh, right, this is, this is the evangelistic message. This is the message to the, the people who don't know God here. So that's great. We can, maybe, maybe even you came this morning and you, you thought, oh, it's Mark. Okay, where's he up to? Oh, I think he's probably up to this passage. Oh, right, that's okay. Oh, that's great. It's the, it's the message for unbelievers, you know, those sinners who are out there. We're okay. We're in the church. We're all easy. Easy life. Good, we've got it sorted. Jesus wasn't talking to unbelievers. Let's go back to the start of the, the, the chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus has gone away from the crowds. He's teaching his disciples here. He's teaching those who are following him, who would look to follow him. So when Jesus is saying, enter through the narrow gate, he's not, he's not giving an evangelistic message. He's saying, look, you are my people. And this is the road that you have to walk. 
And you've got a choice. You could walk the same road as other people. The road's there. Easy to, you can't miss it. Or you could walk this way. This is a message to us, to the church. He's asking us, which road are you going to walk down? And we can say, yeah, but it's, it's too difficult. It's too difficult. I mean, we, as I've preached these messages over the, over the years, people have said to me, this is just hard. It's too hard. How can I do that? How can I say I'll do something and make sure that I do? How can I always keep my promises? I know myself. I know I might not be able to. It's, I, I'd be better not saying that in the first place. I'd, oh, it's just got confusing. It's too hard. I know my, I know my, I know my thoughts. I know I, 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 I just have to look and my thoughts have gone down a certain way and oh no. And, and then I, I'm confronted by what Jesus says. It's too hard. It's too hard. Yeah, it's too hard. It's impossible. It's impossible without God. It's impossible without God's grace. But let's not use the it's too hard as an excuse. We're promised that we can come to our Heavenly Father and we can ask and knock and seek and we will receive the Holy Spirit and He will give us power for everything, every good work that He wants us to do. The question is, what road do we want to walk down? What road do we want to walk down? Do we want to walk down the narrow road? And seek God's help. And know it's tough. Or do we want to walk down the same road as anyone else? Do we secretly want to walk down the same road as everyone else and get to the end of it? And then just say, oh but hey, now God's going to rescue me from that. Because I'm forgiven. I've just walked down the same road as everyone else. Everyone else is on the road to destruction. And now God's picked me out. Because I'm saved. By Jesus, Jesus saved me. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying walk down the same road as everyone else. And at the end it will be okay for you. He's saying we've got to walk a different road. We've got to go through a different gate. There's only two choices. There's only two roads. What's the wide way like? Well, the wide way is easy, it says. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. It's, it's easy. It's wide, it's broad, it's great, it's, it encompasses everything. That's what society is like, isn't it? That's what the world is like now, increasingly. We, it's a pretty broad world. You can, you can kind of have whatever views you want on it. You can live your life however you want to live it, pretty much. It's not, it's not difficult. There's room for tolerance and permissiveness. We, we don't have to work hard at something. We don't have to work hard at, at, at walking down this road. We can go with the flow. We can fit in with the crowd. There's not many challenges. No, I mean, it's great, actually. It's helpful. Everyone's got their own ideas about life. Actually, we can hold... <coughs> we can hold our views about life. We can say we're a Christian. We can say this is what we believe, and that's okay. 
because we believe that and other people believe something else and everyone's got their own views and, and values and they'll, they'll be fine and as long as we're not too pushy and in, as long as we don't try and force anyone else to believe what we believe and that's fine, we'll be, we'll be accepted. Fairly easy life, easy road. And, uh, you know, it's great. We can pretty much go along with all the things that other people go along with and, and all the things that other people do. And just to be honest, most things that we look at will be okay, surely. I mean, there's, after all, there's grace. There's grace to do whatever. We're not under law anymore. We've got freedom to live our lives however we want. And so, you know, we can do whatever. We can go to, we can go to that casino and, and, and gamble. It's fine. It's no problem. We can watch that movie. We can laugh at those jokes. We can play those games. We can download that material from the internet. And we can say, well, it's all right because we've got grace. That allows us to do it. The Corinthian church had a similar attitude. Paul quotes them in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, uh, and verse 12. In fact, let's pull the verse upon here because um, the, the NIV has recently got undergone a, a, a revision. And uh, it's a more helpful uh, version is the new version. And I'm wondering if uh, 6.12, 1 Corinthians 6.12. Um, I'm wondering if, if we've got the new version here because my Bible's got the old version. But 1 Corinthians 6.12, um, in my version, and that one as well, um, says this. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Um, well, you can see there, it's in, it's in inverted commas. So Paul is quoting what people are saying there. The difficulty with that translation is if you miss the inverted commas, it looks as though Paul is saying, you can do what you want. Everything's permissible um, no, what he's got is the Corinthians arguing with him, really. And Paul is picking them up all the way through Corinthians. He's picking them up on some of their attitudes and some of their behaviors about sexual immorality and <coughs> food and <coughs> division between them and things like that. And they're, they're pretty much going, it's all grace, isn't it, though? Everything's permissible. The new version of this actually says, I have the right to do anything, you say. And then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I'll not be mastered by anything. Let's skip on to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 23, because it's the same argument again. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. In my version, it says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Or in the new version, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is, any, everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. And Paul is countering this idea of, of grace just means it doesn't matter how you live. You can live however you want. Paul's saying no. You can't just live however you want. Because not everything is, is a good way to live. And, and not everything is a constructive way to live. Yes, we have the freedom to live our lives. We're not under law in that sense. We're not justified by how, how we keep the law. Our forgiveness only comes from Jesus and what he has done and the life he has lived. And because he was punished for our sins, that is absolutely true. That will never change. 
We will not earn God's favor in terms of being saved and being able to earn God's approval by how we live our life. But that doesn't mean we can then just go, oh, we'll live our life however we want then. This is what Arnold was, was saying last week. There's a therefore, there's a response to God's grace. There's a road to walk. We might just think, we can walk the, the wide road. No. Jesus is saying, come and walk down the narrow road. On the wide road, our priorities are going to be the same as everyone else's. When we make decisions, they won't look very different to anyone else's. Let's give a few examples. These are, are just random examples, so if they're relevant to you, they're not intended to be. You know, who would decide to go on a you know, camping holiday, if you call it a holiday, in a muddy field in North Yorkshire? Uh, you know, with a load of smelly Christians, because <laughs> there's only one shower and the water's run out. Who would decide that? Especially if, you know, if someone says, oh, ask you if you want to come on holiday, to, uh, go on a beach holiday with them at the same, oh, it's the same week. Who's going who's gonna to make the decision to go to, to the campsite? Most people wouldn't. Of course not. Anyone would do that. Who would turn it down? Only someone walking on a narrow road. Won't be many people who do it. Who would turn down a big promotion, big pay rise, so that they made sure they had more time to volunteer with the Jubilee Food Bank, which is just starting up? Not many. Who would choose to move to the east of Sheffield to get involved potentially in launching a new congregation if they've got plenty of money and they can afford to live in the affluent south of the city? Not many. That's not saying you have to do all those things. It's not law. But who would make those decisions? Priorities. Priorities. Are they the same as other people in your life? You apply things to your life. On the wide road, we make decisions that are pretty much indistinguishable from those anyone else would make. And actually, we justify it to ourselves and other people because we say, well, we don't want people to think that Christians are weird or, or extreme or abnormal. You know, we want people to be attracted to us. We want people to like us. We want to be seen as normal people. But, but the, the fact is, we're not normal people. The Bible tells us we're not normal people. people Peter, in 1 Peter <coughs> chapter 2 and verse 11, says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they don't understand it, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He's, he's saying, look, we're aliens and strangers. We're not normal people. We're not people who are going to fit in with everyone else in society. People aren't going to be attracted to following Jesus because they go, oh, Christians, they're just like us, really. Well, what's the point of that? Of course followers of Jesus aren't just like anyone else because followers of Jesus are living a totally different way and a totally different mindset, a totally different set of values. They're on a different road. We're living amongst the world, but we're living a different world, a different way of life. 
if we're not on the wide road. Let's not be deceived by this sort of thinking that we have to be normal. Jesus has already told us we will be persecuted for who we are. We're not going to be applauded. We're going to be persecuted. God's way is not spacious. God's way is narrow and confining. We don't want to read those words, do we? We don't want to read those words. We want Jesus to invite us on a broad path. But no, he says, come through the small gate and the narrow road. It's not easy. He's not calling us to an easy life. Prayer is not easy. Righteousness, living a righteous and holy life, is not easy. Making God-centered decisions and having God-centered attitudes is not easy. They're only possible by God's grace. And hear me right. I'll keep repeating this. God's not saying you have to do it yourself. He says, you can come to me. I'm your father. I will give you all that you need. The question is, do we want it? Do we want to walk this road? Walking on the narrow road means making decisions and having views that run counter to society, against society. What sort of decisions and views are you thinking it is? Well, I'll leave you to work that out, but I'll tell you this. They're the things that you do and the decisions that you make that you're not so keen to put on Facebook because you're not going to get many likes. You'll think, I'm not going to put that on. (laughs) And probably conversely the other. The things that you think that you're happy to put with all your non-Christian friends that you've decided... I'm not saying they're wrong, but they're probably not those decisions. (laughs) It doesn't come naturally. Every day, every day we have to put our fleshly desires to death. And we have to ask God for the strength and grace to walk down this road. There's only a few on it. God's way is not the way of majority opinion. And... We all pretty much hate to stand out from the crowd. But God's way isn't the way of majority opinion. And we actually need to to be quite discerning here as well. Because I would say, don't just think God's way is the way of the majority of church-going people's opinion either. Don't, Don't make judgments and compare yourself to what others in church might do. God isn't saying, do what you see most other religious people doing. In fact, it was the religious people of the day that Jesus was drawing a big contrast with. (coughs) So he, he, he pulled up the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, and he said, these are the people who look spiritual. And you might be thinking, I'm comparing myself to them. And he's saying, no, 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 you're not. My way isn't, isn't doing what they're doing. He says, actually, they've got it all wrong. They're just looking good on the outside. My way is a different way. 
So we don't compare ourselves and go with the majority of church. We, come, we look and see what God's word says. And that's what we're matching up to. When I became a Christian, I, I was going along to a Church of England church, and uh, uh, people considered me very extreme to others in the church that I was at. <laughs> they said I was uh, a bit fanatical. Well, I guess I was, compared to other people in that church. Now, I'd been going to that church and never heard the gospel being preached. So, you know, there's a question of, of whether you could even call it a church. But it was called a church, and, people, and that was the religious thing of the day. That wasn't what to compare to. We can't follow the narrow way if we want to please people. We see it in the Bible. We see people having to make this stand in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua leading the Israelites. He says in chapter 24 um, and verse 14, he says to the people, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He's basically saying, walk the narrow walk. Walk the narrow path. Then he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's saying there's a decision to make. He's saying, you know, you're in a a foreign land. You're in a land with lots of idols now. You're strangers. You're aliens. Ring any bells? And you've got to make a choice, he's saying. Choose for yourself who you're going to worship. Choose for yourself if you're going to go the ways of the people in this land. Or if you're going to go and worship the God of your forefathers. You're going to worship the true God. You've got a choice to make. It's one or the other. He's urging them along one way. But he's saying, but this is what I'm doing. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's making a decision. He's leading. Athanasius was a fourth century theologian. And um, he was trying to persuade uh, Christians that Jesus was indeed God. At the time, most people would have denied, most Christians would have denied the deity of Christ. They would have denied that Jesus was God. They would have said, oh, he was a man sent from God. But they would have denied that he was God. And Athanasius was adamant, no, he is God. He searched scripture. He says, no, he's there, he's God. And people kept saying to Athanasius, Athanasius, what are you talking about? Someone once said to him, Athanasius, The whole world is against you. No one believes the stuff that you're believing. And Athanasius replied, then Athanasius is against the whole world. He knew what the truth was. Of course, we don't just be arrogant and say that what we've got is the right decision in any decision that we've got. But he'd seen it in Scripture. And he was saying, look, I don't, I don't care if everyone else in the church thinks differently. Actually, God's revealed something to me in Scripture here. And, and God seems to be telling me that this is the way that I, he wants me to walk. And this is how he wants me to live my life. 
And he's called me to be holy. And I can't reconcile being holy and living that life with, with, with these things. And yes, other, other people are doing them. And other people in the church are doing it. And, I, and, and, and I'm not going to judge them in, in one sense because I've got to look at the plank in my own eye first and deal with that. And then I'll help. But I'm not just going to be swayed by other people. I'm not just going to say, well, that's what everyone's doing. That's church culture here. Not easy. It's not easy. You know, the way doesn't start off broad and get narrow. And, and again, this is, this is interesting. When it comes to presenting what, what Christianity is about to people, when it comes to the people who don't believe, you know, we, we want to give them an easy in, don't we? We want to make it nice and easy for them. I'm aware of that temptation. Hey, we're doing an alpha course. We're starting it tonight. It'd be very easy to just make it really nice and all-encompassing. Oh, you can come along as well. and You can believe. You can be part of us. Actually, it's a narrow gate. It doesn't start off broad. It's not like Jesus is saying, oh, come on in, and then it gets all narrowed down, and then eventually someone goes, oh, this is what it's all about then, is it? It's narrow now. looks nice and broad to start off with. No, no. It's a narrow gate that we walk through. It's no good just presenting a message and saying, oh, Jesus loves you. He wants to be your friend. Won't you invite him into your life? Jesus doesn't ask us to invite him in to our lives. Some people say, well, surely he does. Surely there's that bit in Revelation uh, chapter 3 and verse 19 where he says, Jesus is at the door. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone... Uh, opens it, I'll come in and, and eat with me. I, that's inviting Jesus into your life. Well, I'll let Dan uh, explain that passage because he's going to come to it fairly soon, I would imagine. But again, that, that's right into a church. That's right into believers. That's not John suddenly putting a quick evangelistic message in there. This is a church that's lost their passion for Jesus, that's gone lukewarm. Jesus, when he asks us to follow him, doesn't say, just tag me along to your life. Invite me into all that you are doing, and I will be part of all that you're doing. He doesn't say that. He says, leave your life behind and follow me. Turn around, leave it behind, follow me. He comes to his early disciples. He says, follow me. They leave their nets, they leave their livelihoods. They follow him. He spots the strongholds in people's lives. He puts a finger on them. He challenges people in the strongest terms. Some have an overemphasis on family. Matthew 8, verse 21. A disciple comes to him and says, Lord, someone's, someone's talked about, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And someone else says to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus told him, Follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Oh, just wait, I've, you know, wait, I'll follow you when I've got more of my family responsibilities. Of when my father's died, you know, and he, he's not going to understand me following you, you know. And but once he's dead, then I'll follow you. No, let the dead bury their own dead. He puts his finger on it. He puts his finger on people who've got a love of money gripping them. The rich 
ruler who comes and says, I'll follow you, I've kept all the commandments. Apart from the one about covetousness, which doesn't get mentioned. And then Jesus mentions it and says, okay, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then you can follow me. Oh, no, that's the one. That's the one that's got him. He goes away sad. He can't follow Jesus. Jesus isn't going, yeah, you got nine out of ten, pretty good. Follow me? We'll sort that other one out on the way. He doesn't say, invite me into your life. Jesus is a lot more honest in his invitations to follow him than much of our evangelism is. Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And taking up his cross means being prepared to die. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man in exchange give in exchange for his soul? If you want to follow me, he's saying, you've got to take your cross up and follow. You've got to leave everything else behind. You can't gain the whole world and then you lose your soul. You can walk on the wide road, lots of people on it, ends in destruction. He's talking about really coming through a narrow gate. It's like a, a turnstile, really, in a football ground. You know those little narrow turnstiles? Have you ever been to a football match? You've got to really squeeze to get into those turnstiles. If you've eaten a few pies like I might have done. <coughs> you know, you can't go in with a load of luggage. If you've, got, if you've got all your baggage and all the things you want to take in, you know, your suitcases, big rucksack and everything, try to get through one of those. No way. You're only going to get through that if you put it all behind. Leave it. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't come through this narrow gate with all your stuff. You have to leave it. You have to leave it behind. Get rid of that worldliness, that desire to just fit in. Oh, the crowd will be surging on on their merry way. And we'll have to make our own way to the narrow gate. We can't take them with us. There's not many get it. Not many find it. And we might be asking ourselves a question. Hang on then. Will only be a few saved? Will there not be many people get saved? And we might say, how does that reconcile with, with things like 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 says, um, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If God wants all men to be saved, how how does that square with, you know, this is a narrow road. Not many find it. That's that's a good question. And we obviously do have to balance Scripture with Scripture. But I don't think we can do any better in answering that question than Jesus himself did. Because he was asked that question in Luke 13 and verse 22. It says, Jesus went through towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, same question. This is his answer. He said to them, 
make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. And then you will say, we ate and drank with you and, taught in our, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. And there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. All they asked him is, are many people going to be saved? And what was his answer? Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. In other words, he's saying, don't come at me with your philosophical questions. How many people are going to be saved? That's up to God. You make every effort. What do you mean make every effort? Surely it's all what God has done. Yeah, but we, it's our response. Make every effort to enter through that narrow gate. Because the important thing is where these paths are leading. And Jesus is pretty stark. The wide road leads to destruction. And the narrow road leads to life. And if we read the end of Revelation and some of the other books in the Bible, we get an idea of what this life is. A new heaven, chapter 21 of Revelation. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth has passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death and no mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down. Uh, These words are trustworthy and true. We can read more about what life we will receive. It's not just a narrow life for the sake of it. It's a narrow life, a narrow road that leads to life in abundance and fullness. And the wide road leads to destruction. And there have been popular writers and speakers recently in the Christian world who have been suggesting that Jesus didn't really mean passages like this. And uh, he'll go on and talk about that next time. And next time we look, we'll look at these different teachers who say different things that aren't biblically true. But I would say only a foolish person would dismiss the clear words of Jesus here. And of course, no one wants to contemplate people walking a road that leads to destruction. That should stir our hearts once we are thinking we are, we are taking this road, we're going to take this narrow road. But it should stir our hearts to see others walking merrily towards destruction. We don't take it lightly and we would never ever delight in it. But Jesus is wanting us to look, and all of us, to look carefully at our lives and to where they're heading. I'm going to show you, if it works, a a short clip from a film, a documentary which was on YouTube. This documentary showed, um, showed a clip 
footage from a festival that took place in 2010 in Germany. Um, many festivals being held today. To me, it encompassed, it just, it just reminded me of this, of this passage. Um, it's going to be three minutes long. It's quite, some of it's a bit shocking, but let's just watch this. Quite stark images. I apologize, by the way, for some of the subtitles there, which I hadn't seen and, uh, when I was looking at that. But, um, but it, it was just such a stark image of people just celebrating walking on a wide road. A wide road that led to destruction. The narrow road, the narrow path that leads to life. We need to take these words of Jesus so seriously. 18 people died at that festival. Many more are walking down a road to destruction. God's urging us to walk down the road that leads to life. And then to reach out to others and show them that road. It's not about walking down the same road as everyone else, and thinking we'll be okay at the end. That's not what God's called us to. We can't be casual in our walk with God. And we can say, yeah, but, but what about verses like nothing can separate us from the, from the love of God and things like once saved, always saved. Yeah, that's all true. And we believe that. And we hold it in tension with some of these things. But we can't ignore some of these hard verses. The easy, wide way is not God's way. We have to leave our baggage. In fact, we have to leave our old self at the narrow turnstile. And pick up our cross daily. And follow Jesus. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. It says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. We have to take up our cross daily. We have to make decisions in life daily. We have to make a decision. Which road are we going to walk down today? And Jesus will always come and he will bring us reassurance. And if we're thinking, oh, I don't know, am I saved or not? And to all those who came with questions and doubts and knowing, I can't do it myself. Jesus always brought reassurance. But to those who came confident they would be accepted by God and could live whatever life they wanted. He always brought challenge. He always challenged. Let's keep coming back to God day by day, knowing our total dependence on him. We cannot live this life without his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and power. To some who misunderstand this grace, it will seem like 
legalism. It will seem like a list of rules. It will seem like you'd be telling us you've got to do this, this, and this. No, Jesus was teaching this. He knew that we couldn't please God by keeping the rules. That's why he went to the cross and died for us. If he thought he was just giving us this list of things and we have to do it all on ourselves, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He went. He died for us. He opened the way. He is the gate. John chapter 10 and verse 9, he says that. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's the gate. He's the way. We go through him. We live our life his way. We leave our stuff behind. And we walk down the narrow road. And we make choices each day. Irrespective of choices others have made. It's good that I'm preaching this after last week. Because Arnold preached as well, didn't he? About offer your bodies as living sacrifices. A response to the grace of God. Our actions are a response to his love and empowered by him. He's already done it. He has shown us his love. He has made the way. He has saved us. But he asks us to walk following him. And we have choices. Which road will we walk down? Which choice will we make? Stark choices. Let's pray.